0: He is risen. He is risen you know, if you're sitting out there and you're going, Who's the new guy? Let me just let you know I am the new pastor here at East Lake Church. East Lake church. That's my old church, like two times <laughs> ago. That that there you go. How's that? At South Sub Church, I'm the new pastor. You can tell I'm still trying to figure out where things are here, but it is good to be here with you this morning. If you are new today, you're a guest, maybe you just come occasionally. Can I just say welcome, okay? It makes me feel better knowing there's other people like me here today, um, new and kind of not sure what's going on. So I just want to give a special, special welcome to you. And I hope if you're kind of coming today and checking things out, maybe somebody invited you, don't wait till next Easter to come again. There's going to be some great things taking place here at the church, and I'm excited to be a part of them. And we're just hoping that you'll come along with us. It's funny, this past week somebody asked me, Keith, do you feel the pressure of being the new pastor? And you know what my response was? No. And here's why. When you start a new job, there is pressure. But when you go visit family, there's no pressure to perform at all. And I just want to say thank you for making myself, my wife, Denise, feel like family. That's what it's been this week. We honestly looked at each other yesterday. We've been here one week, and we said it feels like we've been here three or four or five months or even a year already. And that is not because we found our way around Denver. It's because you have made us feel like family, and we're so appreciative of it. So thank you so very much. When we found out a few weeks ago that my first Sunday would be on Easter, my son back in Dallas that we were living with at the time said, Dad, are, are you nervous? That's like Super Bowl Sunday, and you're like the rookie quarterback. Are you sure you're going to be okay with that? And I looked at my son and said, Son, here's the deal. If that's the Super Bowl, we're going to let Jesus be the star of the game, and I'll just be a role player, and I think that would make a really good Sunday. So that's my goal today, is just to be, in, and every single week, just to be a role player. But here's the deal. If this is the Super Bowl Sunday and Jesus is the star of the game, then I think that we have to look at in the account in, in the Scripture where the resurrection occurs has to be the play of the game. And that's what I want us to do today. It, we would be remiss to look at any other Scripture than the resurrection. Now, I realize this, that all the other passages of Scripture kind of follow and they just come in suit with the resurrection. But today, my first Sunday here at South Sub Church, I can't think of a better, better passage a better scripture just to open up with you guys, and that is the resurrection, the story of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to look with me, if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it on the screen, but we'll be looking at the count in in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16, and that's going to be verses 1 through 8. Now, as you turn there, let me kind of set you up. I realize it's Easter. And many of us know kind of what's going on, but understand, it's Sunday morning as we pick up this Scripture, as we pick up this passage, and we come in our bright clothes, our spring attire, we are excited, but as we pick up this passage, they don't know what we know, okay? All that the people, the participants in this passage know is that their Savior, their Messiah, this person they thought was going to lead us to the new kingdom, lead them to the new kingdom— was crucified on Friday night, and Saturday had to be the darkest day of their lives. In fact, all the men that had been following him, his disciples, even many of the ladies that had been following him, when he was taken and arrested, the Bible says this before Mark chapter 16, that the disciples scattered They didn't just scatter. We even know that Peter denied him. They were were grieving because he was crucified. They were fearful because they didn't know what that meant for their own lives, and they did not know the next steps of their lives. Now, it's interesting. In Mark chapter 15, it says, The men scattered, the disciples scattered, but the women, it said, if you're the women, it says they watched at a distance. Like they weren't sure what to do, but somehow the men took off running. But the women said, I'm going to say it's close enough to see what they do with this man that I called my Messiah. And that's where we pick it up in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And let me read this verse to you. It says this, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Again, these were the few ladies that had cautiously watched from a distance. And I think there's a tendency in all of us to kind of look at these ladies going, really? You followed Him? You watched Jesus perform miracles? You even saw Him raise people from the dead? And when he's, His life is on the line all that you did is watch from a distance cautiously? But can I just give a shout out to them right here? It is better to watch cautiously from a distance than to totally disregard who Jesus is. And you may be here today, and you've come with a family member. Maybe somebody shamed you going, if you want me to feed you after for lunch, you have to come to church with me, okay? I don't know what the motivation is. But you could honestly say, you know what, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Bible thing, this whole God thing, I'm not sure I buy into it. In fact, you may be here kind of just kicking the tires, just going, I'm coming, but I'm not sure I buy into it. Can I let you know this is a good place to kick the tires? This is a good, safe place to cautiously check things out. You're in a better place today that you're cautiously checking things out than if you would just kind of turn your back and snub your nose and say, I disregard all of it. And sometimes I think we believe that we've got to come to Jesus with it all together before he accepts us. I believe this, the women in this story were exactly where Jesus hoped they would be that they were taking a step towards him, even though they they didn't know what the step was, they were okay to take a step towards him and cautiously check things out on their own. And so then the next verse says this, verse 2 and 3, very early on Sunday morning, just as sunrise, they went to the tomb, and on the way they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of this tomb? Now, I know we've probably all seen pictures where they're there actual photographs or drawings of what the tomb looked like, but here's reality of probably how it was actually made. Rather than being in this big cave they just happened to found, they put Jesus' body in there and try, went and tried to find a stone to roll in front of it, it probably would have been the side of a hill, the side of a mountain, and men would have taken and carved out a six-by-four-foot tomb in there. In fact, when those that were buried in tombs like this were really the upper, upper class because no one else could afford to be having someone build that tomb for them. Them. And so you can imagine the tomb that they put him in would have been a small room. I'm guessing maybe from the table there to the stage, just small. They even probably had a duck as they walked in. And the stone they would have rolled away, rolled onto it or in front of it probably was about six by four foot tall. And so as the men, women went there, this is what went through my mind. They were walking to the tomb knowing that the rock that they were hoping somebody would help them move was six by four foot in diameter now they better hope they had somebody found with a lot of muscles right because they just couldn't find some little boy walking by going hey can you help us move this stone and other gospels also let us know that that they had placed two guards in front of that stone and they had placed those guards in front of that stone so nobody could get to the body of Jesus and claim some kind of claim that he had resurrected and I don't think the women could have walked up to the two men that their sole job was to make sure nobody got into the tomb, said, Hi, we're here. Can we just kind of go in to see Jesus for a second? H- here's what I'm getting at. They're walking there thinking, Who is going to remove the stone? But it seems like they're not even thinking clearly. They're thinking just kind of muddy. They're thinking just kind of cloudy because they know they want to do something for Jesus, but they just haven't figured out how they're going to do it. For Jesus. And even they're thinking of what they might do for Jesus if they could get to him doesn't even make sense because they probably can't even get to him. Are, Are you with me? Because I think sometimes as we think about the story of Jesus, the resurrection, we so see beyond the resurrection, we see all the fireworks going off, we see all the hallelujahs, but we forget the emotion that the women were going through in the moment. And so they're just shuffling their feet. They've got their spices in their hand. They've got the things they're going to embalm him with. And they're just thinking, how are we going to move the big rock when we get there? And then the passage goes on to say this. But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. So we think they walk up going, hallelujah, God, you're great. This is awesome. But that's not what they're thinking. Jesus had made references that he would be resurrected. But they saw his bloody crucified body on the cross. They watched from a distance as men took him and wrapped him in the linen. They saw the dead body being placed in the tomb. They saw the rock rolled away. And so they were, while they were believers in Jesus a few days earlier, I've got to believe at this moment in their lives, they were believers in Jesus, the man, not the Savior, because Saviors don't die saviors take their people and lead them to the promised land but their savior was a man because he lay dead in a tomb and so they walked up to the tomb that day and they saw the rock wall the rock being rolled away you can imagine they went from grief to fear because maybe somebody had got there before them had rolled that rock away and done something not devoted to the body of jesus but desecrating to the body of Jesus. Are you with me? And the reason I want you to think this way is I think to truly understand this moment of time in the resurrection, we have to see it. We have to feel it. We have to experience it from the perspective of the three ladies that were there. Not us 2,000 years later, but of the ladies that were there that were in this moment of shock. And the Scripture goes on to say this, And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. Now, you've got to believe, at this moment, they're thinking, something's different. Now, it says a young man sitting in a white robe. The other gospels record him as an angel. And so I really believe as they walked in, they're not just seeing a man dressed in a white robe. They're going, This is a holy somebody. This is not the average person that we would see walking around town. This is an angel of God. And the woman was shocked. But The angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. That angel said those three famous words. He is risen. Will you do me a favor? Will you say those words with me this morning? "He He is risen. Okay. That sounded and felt like a first-grade class that the teacher is teaching him a new word, and the kids are looking out the window going, I'm just waiting for recess, okay? Now, we're talking about—remember what we're talking about here? He is risen, okay? We're not just three words that we say when we walk in on Easter. What the angel said is he's going, let me clarify for you what's going on here, okay? Nobody came and took his body, Okay, the reason Jesus is not here, ladies, that you came to embalm his dead body is because the dead body's been resurrected. And that angel looked at him and said, he is risen. So, church, I promise to get the name of the church right next week (laughs) if you get the way we say he is risen right this week. Is that a fair deal? Okay, so on the count of three, let's, let's say it again. One, two, three. Would you look to somebody next to you going, you still got to step it up a pace, okay? (laughs) So we're going to try one more time, okay? Now remember, we're getting into the story, okay? I wanted you to feel the emotions. I wanted you to feel their grief. I wanted you to feel their shock. But here's what I need you to feel right now. I need you to feel their celebration. You ready? Again, look at your neighbor going, get it right. Okay? One, two, three. Yes, Yes, At that very moment, Jesus moved from being their spiritual leader to the resurrected Savior. Do you understand this? If that angel wasn't there, if that angel wasn't sitting there and going, he is risen, if there was a dead body with with linen wrapped around it, Jesus would have stayed nothing more than a historical figure. But I don't know about you, but the God I serve and the God who allows me to stand up here And the God who sent His Son to this earth for us, His Son is a resurrected Savior. His Son is a risen Savior. His Son is my eternal Savior. And the reason I can stand here before you and not have to deliver in perfection, but to stand before you in grace and forgiveness is because Jesus was resurrected. The reason we're dressing nice today is because He's resurrected. The reason somebody else invited me to lunch and they're going to cook my dinner today is because he is resurrected, right? <laughs> and so the resurrection changes everything. If you have one of our outlines and you like taking like notes, that's the first thing you write in there. The resurrection changes everything. If the timer already went off on your watch going, I'm only giving church 33 minutes a day and you leave today, that's okay. As long as you get, the resurrection changes everything. In fact, when you say that with me on the count of three, the resurrection changes everything. One, two, three. The resurrection changes everything. He is risen. He is risen. Indeed. You know what? But I want to share with you today what the resurrection changes. Because as Mark gives us his account, it doesn't stop right there. Yes, it's great the resurrection changes everything, but what does it change in my life? And so let me read the next passage to you. It says this. Now go, and this is the angel talking to the women, he says, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were frightened. And so the angel looks at him and said, okay, he's risen. He's not here, so i got a task for you to do. I need you to go find his disciples, including, including Peter that denied him. I need you to go find his disciples and let them know that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. And I need you to go right now and take care of this. And the Bible says this, that the women were shocked. They were in bewilderment, and they left there trembling, and they said nothing to anyone that they saw. Do you see the tension we have going on here? The angel's going, hey, Jesus is going to catch up with the guys. Go tell them to catch up with them. But the women left there trembling and fearful and said nothing to no one. So let me give you three things how the resurrection changes everything. First of all, the resurrection changes my outlook. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The resurrection changes my outlook. The women came to the tomb in shock from the night before, two days before, in grief, and they walked in, and I can imagine as they got there, here's what they imagined themselves. If the stone was moved away, stepping into this dark small chamber, and there's no way all the sunshine and light could have got to, they didn't have flashlights back then, and so they imagine themselves thinking, we're just going to kind of fill our way, we're going to grope through the darkness, and just see if we can find the body, and we'll bomb the body once we're in there. But this groping and trying to find their way was more than just the grief in the moment of embalming the body they anticipated. These women knew this. They would also have to grope through the grief and the sadness and the shock of losing Jesus. And they probably knew stepping up to the stone before they saw the angel, before they saw that Jesus was resurrected, that that grief that they would have to find themselves through, that sadness that they would have to grope themselves through, would not just be like a day or a month or a year. It might be a lifetime. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that grief they're talking about? This may be an Easter, the first time you've celebrated Easter without a loved one. And you woke up this morning and emotionally you're just fumbling through the day. And you're going, I, I know it's a good day, but the grief in my heart is too deep and too dark to really experience the day right now. Or maybe it's not the loss of a loved one, maybe it's the loss of a dream isn't that what the ladies there was a dream that jesus was going to usher in to the whole new kingdom and maybe there's a dream in your life it's maybe it's about a job maybe it's dreams you had for your own kids maybe it's dreams for your future maybe the grief that you're feeling right now and the loss you're experiencing is not about a dream it's about your bank account it's about tomorrow and how you'll pay for the bills And I'm sure at some point, if not now in our lives, we all have that darkness come upon us, and we have to just kind of grope the darkness trying to find, like, how are we going to make it to the next day? But here's what I want you to know. Just like the women experienced that day, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes the perspective, my outlook that I have on today, because here's the deal. Because he's resurrected, I know he's in charge of tomorrow. I may not like tomorrow. I may not agree with God in all the things going on in my life, but He's still in charge of tomorrow. Eight months ago, I was working at East Lake Church, the one that we're glad you came to today. <laughs> and I was in a season of my life that ministry just wasn't fulfilling. The church was making some changes, not negative, just some changes, and there was just some restlessness going inside of me. And I've been praying, God, what's next? Eight months ago, I walked into a meeting with my pastor, and as we talked, he said, Keith, I need to let you know some more changes going on here. We're going to reposition you. Instead of being really a pastor, we're going to put you more of an administrator over some ministries. And I sat there, and I knew that God had not called me to be an administrator. He had called me to be a pastor. And we talked some more. It was an amazing conversation. It wasn't like this horrible boss on employee conversation. It was transparent. It was real. And I walked out of that meeting. First thing I did was pick up my phone and call my wife, Denise. And I said, hey, babe, I I, I need to let you know something. I think I just quit my job. (laughs) Now, I didn't think I quit. I knew I quit my job, but she needed a little bit of runway right before we could get there. (laughs) And, And I've taught my kids their whole lives, you don't quit one job until you have another job. But there was something in me that God said, trust me. Step out on faith and trust me. Now, side note to this story, right around, this, this, right around the time this stuff is going on in California, y'all were hearing an announcement here in Denver, in Littleton, that your pastor was leaving. Now, nobody had talked to one another, but this was going on. I didn't know about that. But I went home with great, just great hope. I said, Denise, here's the deal. We're going to trust Jesus, okay? We're going to trust the resurrection. Let's just take a few months off and call it our sabbatical, and maybe by December I'll have a job, and life will be great. Well, December got here and I didn't have a job. <laughs> and about January, the search team from this church called me and said, would you be interested? We wouldn't have talked about being our pastor. Eight months later, now let me let you know, I would, tell, I would like to tell you that eight months I'm walking every day going, praise Jesus, I'm just waiting on Him. And every day, most of the days I'll walk through going, Jesus, would you hurry up? I'm waiting on you. <laughs> but here's what I knew. The resurrection. And my trust in Jesus. I didn't know what tomorrow holds, but I know he, I knew He holds tomorrow. And so the resurrection allowed my outlook to be focused on Him and not my circumstances. And you may be saying, Keith, that's a nice story for you, but I don't know your circumstances. I, I don't know the bills that you have to pay. I don't know the person you have to live with. I don't know the grief that you experience because of family situations. I don't know what it's like to celebrate Easter without the one that you love right next to you. And you're right. I don't. And I just want you to know this. I am sorry, truly sorry for any pain that you may be feeling right now, any grief that you may be feeling now. And I'm really sorry even for any doubt in Jesus you might be feeling now. There's a guy in the scripture, his name was Thomas. And if you ever feel bad that you doubted, nobody doubts doubts as bad as Thomas. The Bible lets us know that Thomas was one of the disciples. And when they heard that Jesus had been resurrected, some of the disciples actually saw the resurrected Jesus. So their faith went, woo, and they were like, yeah, he's resurrected. But Thomas was one of these men that did not see Jesus the first time the other disciples did. And the Bible says they came back to Thomas going, Thomas, you won't believe it. You know the thing that Mary told us that he was resurrected that we didn't believe? We saw the resurrected Jesus. I mean, he was right there in front of us. Yes, he's resurrected. And Thomas going, I doubt that. Until I can touch the holes in his hand where the nails were, until I can touch the holes in his side where the spear went, I will not believe you guys because my circumstances are so overwhelming, I can't have faith in a resurrected Jesus. And finally, the Bible says Jesus showed up to Thomas. Now, watch this. The Bible never says that Jesus walked up to Thomas going, I cannot believe you. <laughs> really? You walked me for three years. You saw me do the miracles, and this is where you are in your faith, Thomas? Really? Doubting Thomas is a great name for you. You know what the Bible says? Jesus walked up to Thomas He said, Thomas, my friend, feel free to touch. Feel free to touch jesus embraced him with okayness not shamefulness and if you're here today and you're hurt and your grief and your doubt is so big that's okay jesus just says come and touch come and see in fact in john 20 29 20 29 it says this and jesus said to thomas so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes even better blessings are in store for those that believe without seeing. Thomas got the blessing for seeing Jesus. But Jesus is going, hey, for those in 2023 that you don't get to see the resurrected Jesus like physically, you're even more blessed than Thomas when you believe for not seeing. And so the resurrection changes our outlook. Let me give you another change it does. The resurrection changes my relationships. Now, if I have a favorite part of this story, this is it right here. Because here was Jesus, or here was the angel said, Jesus wants to meet up with the disciples, okay? He's initiating this interaction, okay? Now, here's why that's so important. Because if I'm Jesus, I'm resurrecting going, you know those 12 disciples? Eh, Give me 12 more. Okay? Really? You guys couldn't stick with me? You guys couldn't stay with me for all that I told you? But Jesus steps into the resurrected body and says, I need to see my boys. Not just the ones that deserted me i need to see peter that denied me peter that said he would die for me couldn't even stand around and act like he knew me wow i i I look at that going that just gives me confidence that gives me peace and all the times that i've messed up and not really been who jesus i think jesus wants me to be he has never shunned me and pushed me away he always opens up his arms and brings me to him And so the next change is the the resurrection changes my relationships. Now, there's a couple of changes in our relationships. If you're taking notes, these are some good. These two right here, you may have to go home and chew on a little bit first, okay? So just write these down, and here's the first one. Jesus, Jesus initiates our reconciliation with Him. Okay? Here's why that's important. The burden of reconciliation begins with Jesus. He's not waiting around for me to make the first step. He's already doing two steps before I get out of the chair. If you're married, this has probably happened to you. Your spouse makes you upset, and you know in your mind it's their fault why y'all are kind of fighting. But you never go to that spouse going, it's your fault, but I still love you. If you're like me, I sit back in my chair waiting for her to come to me. Now, this has only happened one time in my life, so I don't think I have a bad marriage, right? One time in my life, last week this happened, okay? One time in my life, every week this happens. But there's something in us that when we are wronged, we don't want to initiate back reconciliation. When someone wrongs us, we sit back going, well, I'm the one being hurt, they're the hurt-er, so I'm waiting for them to come take care of me. Listen, Jesus was never in the wrong. The men, the disciples had done the hurting, but the first thing Jesus said through the angel is tell the guys to hurry up and catch up to me because I can't wait to see them. And I can't just wait to see them to reconcile to say things are going to be okay. I can't wait to see them to let them know that I'm going to change the world through them. But sometimes I think in Jesus, we feel such shame from our, for our past that we think Jesus could never use us in the future. And do you realize right now That Jesus is in this room, and first of all, he goes, I love you so much as a person, not for what you can do for me, not for the way I want you to start acting in the future. I love you so much as a person. I want a relationship with you. And he goes, I'll come to you. And when I come to you, I got news for you. I got plans for you bigger than the plans you can ever dream of yourself. Your past will never dictate your future. Who you are yesterday will never determine who you'll be tomorrow when we encounter the resurrected Jesus. And so the resurrection truly changes our, rec- our, our, our relationships, and it begins by Jesus initiating that reconciliation. But look at the next thing with me, next point. In this reconciliation to the resurrection of relationships, Jesus expects us to have reconciliation with others. Let me say that again. Going, you could have let that out, Pastor. It would been a very good first Sunday if you didn't bring that up, right? Because now it's like toe-stepping, right? Because of the resurrection and Jesus initiating, forgiving us even when we don't deserve to be forgiven. In that response, Jesus expects reconciliation from us. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another and sensitive. And then look what he says. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as Christ Jesus forgave you. What's my barometer if I should forgive you? It's how much he forgave me. Let me say that again. My barometer of how much I should forgive you for offending me is based on how much Jesus forgives me. And no matter how much I have to forgive you, it will never reach how much he had to forgive me. And so in this relationship, because Jesus came to this earth to forgive our sins, to bring us reconciliation with the Father in heaven, right? That we can have a relationship with Him. But that same reconciliation vertically with the Father, Jesus wants reconciliation horizontally with those around us. And you know, as I think about that, I can't think of a better reason to reconcile with somebody than because Jesus initiated reconciliation with me. Now, be careful, because you can think of all the reasons not to. But you put those on a weight, and all the reasons not to. But Jesus' initiation of my reconciliation with him will trumpet every single time. And there's a good chance in a room this size, there's hurt. There's anger. In a room this size, there is validated hurt. But I can't think of a better day of the year than to be able to say, you know what, he or she doesn't deserve it, but I will take a step to that person because of the step that Jesus took to me. So how does the resurrection change everything? Or In what ways? It changes my relationships. And let me give you the last one here. The resurrection changes my fears. As we read that last scripture, it said this, that the angel gave the Marys and, and Salome and the ladies there with them directions, instructions to go get the disciples and tell them to meet in Galilee. But the Bible says that we saw this, that they left fearful and bewildered and said nothing to no one. I'm glad this story doesn't end there, aren't you? Because here's what it says next in verse 9 and 10. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw, what he, who saw Him was Mary Magdalene, and the, the woman from whom had cast out the seven demons. And she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. So, you know, it's just storytelling, right? So they can't tell every single second. But somehow between the time that Mary and the other ladies were totally shocked and they shut up because they were so fearful, at some point they regained their confidence. At some point they regained their courage and they went and told people. In fact, do you know this, that Mary was the very first evangelist? Wow. If we want to argue sexes, a woman was the very first Evangelist, Okay? So right that taste. God has a place for all people in his kingdom. But somehow she went from being totally fearful to the courage to be the very first evangelist this world has ever known. So what did the resurrection do for her fear? It took it away. It changed it. And you may be sitting here going, okay, I got fear. I went to the doctor last week, and I got a diagnosis I never thought I would ever get. I am fearful of the next step in my health. You, you may be fearful going, I'm raising children, and I'm fearful of what next week or next month will hold for my kids. I'm fearful of the decision that my grown child is making. There's nothing I can do to change that decision. I'm fearful of what thinks, what's taking place in my job and the shakeup that the corporate office is doing. We all have all kinds of fears, right? Again, the resurrection doesn't change the circumstances. But the resurrection of Jesus being alive in our lives gives us the confidence, the confidence to take a step into whatever those circumstances are. You know, I wonder, when Mary, this transition, whatever took place between being fearful and like, okay, to move on and tell the guys, I wonder if she went back in her mind and she began thinking of other conversations that she'd had with Jesus in days prior. I wonder if she went back that time that's recorded in John 14, 27, and Jesus said this to Mary and the men and those around him, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. And so don't be troubled and don't be afraid. I think also of, of the words that Paul wrote to Timothy in verse, uh, chapter, 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I don't know what your fears are today. It's April. I know if you're a graduating senior, you probably have some fears that's like where am I going to go to college how am I going to pay for college um, how's my mom going to survive when I do go to college okay there's probably all kind of fears going on in your mind right now maybe maybe the fears are like we mentioned maybe it's your health maybe it's your finances I can't promise you how God will deal with those things but the resurrected living Jesus will give us the courage because he's not given us a spirit of fear he's given us a spirit of strength and courage and sound mind And so the resurrection truly changes everything. Will you say those three words with me again? He is risen. He He is risen. Can you say it like you mean it, church? One, two, three. He He is risen. risen. He is risen indeed. And as I wrap up this morning, I just want to share this with you. Maybe you are one of those people that are kind of closely watching from a distance. And you came this morning just to satisfy the person who brought you. You came this morning not to make any life changes. I want you to know nobody here will pressure you to make life changes. But I want you to know that Jesus, I believe, brought you here today simply so you will know that He loves you. That He died on the cross, that He was buried, but three days later He rose again so that He could have a relationship with you. That maybe somebody invited you, but I believe this. Jesus was initiating this week, this moment in time, way before we ever started putting things out. And I just want you to know that that you're loved by Jesus. And I hope if you continue to come here, you'll find this out, that you're also loved by the people of this church. Because we get the opportunity and the privilege of being the hands and the feet of Jesus. We don't always do a perfect job. We're just trying our best to do a good job with it. But if you have never considered, like, okay, this whole Jesus thing, maybe it is real. And his resurrection, I need the living Jesus in my life. It's so simple. Okay? He did all the work on the cross. He did all the work when he was resurrected. You know what it takes on our part? Just trust. And just a commitment. And just to say a simple prayer, Jesus, I need you. (laughs) I don't even know what it means, Jesus, but I give you me. I commit myself to you. And the Bible says like that, that reconciliation we talked about, that's all it takes for that relationship with Jesus. And so I'm always, if you're here today and you're, you're praying, you're thinking through that, I'd love to talk to you this week. Other people in the church would love to talk with you. But it's a simple prayer, Jesus, I need you. I give myself to you. And that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're like, Keith, I did that. Like in fifth grade, I went to VBS. It wasn't about spaceships, but I went to VBS in fifth grade. But you know what, Keith? That commitment is a long ways from today. I guarantee you when Peter denied Jesus the third time, he probably felt further from Jesus than he ever thought he could imagine. And what did Jesus do? Took a step towards him. I'm glad you're here today. And Jesus is taken as taking a step to you no matter where you are in your journey with him. And so I'm going to pray now. But if you're in one of those never made a commitment to Jesus or a long time ago, um, I, just, I just invite you, just right there where you are. You and Jesus, just say, Jesus, sorry. I'm coming to you. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you now. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us this account of of that day thousands of years ago. But thank you that that account of you thousands of years ago is living and alive today because of your resurrection, Jesus. And so this moment, I, I pray for every single person in this room, no matter where they are in their journey, just beginning with you today, coming back to you after many years, or God, just still walking with you after many years. May you bring the resurrection. May you remind us that it is real and is living, and it is the game changer. And Jesus, you are the game changer. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.